Hi, I'm Julian. Hi. Uh, when we read the Christian scripture, it's not just about the information. It's actually about the encounter. We believe God meets us and transforms us in these words. So let's take a moment of quiet to clear our minds and prepare our hearts for this moment of encounter. Tonight's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grains and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. Thanks, Julie. Uh, will you pray with me? God, thanks for meeting us here. Thanks for the ease with which we come into your presence. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us tonight as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Katie. I'm one of the pastors here at Nova Church. Thanks for joining us. Normally we gather at 5 o'clock, but thank you for getting the memo that tonight it's at 4. Uh, kickoff, I am aware, is at 4.30. Um, keep this brisk. And then we have a Super Bowl uh, watch party together, pizza, cake, cake to celebrate February birthdays. So I hope you can stick around and enjoy that with us. There's something that I think Chuck and I talk about too much. Like I feel like it comes up a lot in our conversation and the stories we tell comes up a lot in sermon illustrations when one of us is preaching. And I just want you to know that like I hear it. I know we talk about it too much. It's like when I was growing up, my pastor he always talked about Ohio State football. Like somehow that always came back to Jesus. Somehow that always pointed to Jesus. But for me and Chuck, the thing we talk about too much, uh, it's lazy rivers. I don't know if you've been here. If you've never been here, you're like, I don't know. Now you know more about us. You have an insight into who we are. Because I feel like we talk about lazy rivers a lot that you might think that's all we do. Like in our spare time, we're just floating lackadaisically through you know, our official bodies of water. But it started for us a few years ago because I was officiating a wedding outside of Austin. So Chuck and I flew to this wedding, and it was at this resort that had an amazing pool, amazing lazy river, and everybody who was there for the wedding, we just spent like all day Saturday, all day Sunday, right up into the wedding, the time of the wedding, we just spent it in the lazy river. It was awesome. It sounds awesome. It was awesome. But it was interesting because there was this sort of like sociological experiment that played out at the lazy river, because they had tubes by the side of the lazy river, and so when you stepped up, when you wanted to get into the water, you grabbed a tube, you floated along, you came back, you put your tube back, and you went on, right? But as the day went on, people started to hoard the tubes. Like this fear, like there's not enough. There's not enough for me and my family. So people would take the tube, and they, they did the thing, but then they took it back to their lounge chair, and they would go to the poolside cafe, they would just be reading their book, by the, but they had this stack of tubes. And so as the day went on, there wasn't enough. And so you went into the lazy river, and there wasn't a tube for you. There was no more tubes. It was this interesting exper experiment of like the fear of not enough. Like there's not going to be enough when it's my turn. I'm not going to have what I need. I'm not going to have enough for me, my family, my friends, whatever. And the thing is that fear, it creeps in all the time. Not just poolside. It creeps in all the time of not enough. 
Not enough for me. That fear of not enough, it grips us all. So think about for you. Where does it show up? That fear of not enough. Maybe as you think about the future. Maybe just when you go grocery shopping these days. Inflation, rising costs, interest rates, paying off student loans. Like all these ways that that fear For some of us, for some of our neighbors as well, that the fear of not having enough, it's because of lack of health insurance or or adequate transportation or or housing or or not making a livable wage. And that fear of not enough, it just comes up in like everyday life. For most of us, it's, it's scrolling on social media, right? Like comparison, for me, it jumps in so quickly, so quickly. For me, I feel it when I go to Costco. Like there's things that... I want that like 20 minutes ago on the drive over, I didn't even know it came in bulk. But now I, I, like, I don't even kayak, but that's a really good price on kayaks, you know? Like, it comes so quickly. And I invite you tonight to actually pay attention to that fear when you feel it creeping in, to pay attention when the fear of not enough starts to spring up for you. So we've been in this sermon series, we're wrapping wrapping it up tonight, a sermon series on the self-giving nature of God. God who is three and one, this core idea in the Christian faith that the God is three and one, one God. We worship one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this idea of the doctrine, it's not just some abstract doctrine that you get like extra points on a Bible quiz. Like, no, no, we're invited to enter into the reality of God who is eternal community, God who is three and one. The life shared between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that eternal communion, that's the center of the universe, the center of reality, and that's where we're invited to to live, to make our home. That the joy, the joy shared between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that's what we're invited into. The delight shared between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the delight that we're invited to make our home in. The mutual self-giving between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The self-yielding love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that we're invited into life with God. But all of us, we have that fear of of not enough. Whether you're a Christian or, or not, We have that fear of of not enough, not enough time, not enough money, not enough. And you can fill in that blank, however you want to fill in that blank at this point in your life right now. It's been called a a scarcity mindset, the scarcity mindset. Now, originally that term, according to the Cleveland Clinic, originally that term was used to describe the very real impacts of poverty, the, the, the mental impacts, the stress For example, a study was done with sugarcane farmers in India, and these farmers experienced a great fluctuation in wealth because they were paid once, once at harvest. So at harvest time, they became rich, and then as the cycle went on, as they came back around, they experienced poverty. So it's the same exact people that they're giving cognitive tests to, and they're seeing that when they're in poverty, their their cognitive function goes down greatly because of the stress, because of the reality of poverty. But the term scarcity mindset has also been used in a broader sense to describe how we all fall into this way of thinking that focuses on lack, on what we don't have. That fundamentally a scarcity mindset looks at the world around us and sees lack. Instead of seeing possibilities or opportunities or assets, we see threats. If you're going to get yours, I can't get mine. We look around and we see 
lack. And it, it comes up in so many different ways. And I don't have time to unpack it all tonight. But I do hope you would stick with this for a few days. Read Luke 12. Think about where it's showing up in your life right now, this fear of not enough. I, it kind of blew my mind, honestly, how many different ways it shows up in my life. Just getting messed up by the sermon prep this week. It's the drive to pad your bank account with just a little more. Save, save, save. Or spend, spend, spend. The drive to get more and more. It's the, the drive to hoard things. Michael Easter is author of a book called Scarcity Brain. And he says there are now more self-storage facilities in the U.S. than McDonald's, Burger King's, Starbucks, and Walmart's combined. Are we invited into a kingdom of scarcity or a kingdom of abundance? As we're invited to enjoy life with God, is life in this kingdom, is it one of abundance or scarcity? Well, what is God like? What's God like? Is God a God of scarcity or abundance. Now, there's a really deep irony that I'm preaching this on Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> and I need to wrap it up. Because <laughs> some of you didn't know the Super Bowl was today, not pointing fingers. <laughs> some of you are really excited about the game. Some of you are excited about Taylor Swift, pointing fingers. <laughs> no, she's not. She's mad that I said that. <laughs> some of you, most of us, are excited about the commercials. And here's the thing. Companies pay something like $7 million dollars for a 30-second spot. And advertisers have 30 seconds to play on your scarcity mindset, to very intentionally play on your fear of not enough. Okay, but wait a minute. Forget storage units and trips to Costco. There are people in our world who don't have enough. Rates of hunger and poverty in our city and around the world. Author Michael Beck says 1% of the world's population now controls over half the world's wealth. I remember years ago taking a quiz online that was like, how rich are you quiz? And it was trying to put it in a global perspective. So by virtue of the fact that, that I own a car, that I own a computer, that I have a certain amount of money to live on every day, that automatically that puts me in the category called rich in a global perspective. I want to share some stats from World Vision. It's a global Christian humanitarian organization. And they share some stats on, on poverty. They say 719 million people are living on less than $2.15 a day. That children and, and youth account for two-thirds of the world's poor. And women represent a majority in most regions. That 24% of the world's population, which is 1.9 billion people, live in fragile contexts characterized by impoverished conditions and dire circumstances. And we can hear those stats, and we can very quickly respond by saying that's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, that's one way to define sin. Theologian Cornelius Plantiga has a book on sin called It's Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. We can look around, we can see the realities of so many in our city and in our world, and we can very quickly say that's not the way it's supposed to be. So Luke chapter 12 the passage that Julian read, Jesus tells a story of a man who's doing very well for himself. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, an abundance of possessions. So what's a person to do? Well, sure, you have enough for today. But what about tomorrow? Tomorrow's coming. What if there's a famine? What if the Romans, who are already oppressively taxing you, raise the tax rates? 
What if I don't have enough? What, what's the solution here? Well, even though we don't live in the first century world that Jesus inhabited, our response would be very similar. Here's the solution. More is better. Build bigger barns, store it up. More is better. Now, why is Jesus telling the story? If you zoom out, if you look at Luke 12, and again, I hope you do read it later today when you get home from the Super Bowl party. <laughs> in the context of our passage, a man approaches Jesus because there appears to be an argument between this man and his brother, a dispute over family inheritance. And this man says to Jesus, like, settle it for us. Be the arbiter. Be the judge. And Jesus refuses to do so. And then he says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. One scholar defines greed there as simply the pursuit of more. Jesus says, be on your guard against the pursuit of more. And Jesus talks all the time about wealth, money, resources, particularly in this section of the Gospel of Luke. And honestly, it's offensive to our modern ears, living in a capitalistic, materialistic society. This is where I think we're tempted just to keep reading. <laughs> Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. When everything around us tells us more, more, more. Okay, but when is enough actually enough? Scarcity mindset says there isn't enough. Abundance mindset says there's enough to share. There's enough to share. I don't know if you've caught the musical, The Share Bears. Have you heard about this? Oh, it's sweeping the nation. Uh, first grade class performance of The Share Bears happened at Dormore Thursday night. Riveting performance over there where the bears of Honey Hollow learned the power of generosity. Our son Luke, Oscar-worthy performance, narrator number three, <laughs> pivotal role. Thank you. I have video if you want to watch it during the game. And here in Luke 12, Jesus is speaking to deep-seated fears. Jesus is speaking to deep-seated fears that we all carry. Yes, you can watch it. He's speaking to deep-seated fears, but he's also inviting us into the power of generosity that's rooted in the generosity of God. Because this fear of scarcity, it can, it can keep us from, from living faithfully as followers of Jesus with our finances, with our stuff. Okay, so, so what do we do? We recognize the scarcity mindset. We name it. Maybe we start to see where it crops up in our own lives, how easily it crops up in our own lives. Well, how do we develop an abundance mindset? Is this the point where I kind of like wag my finger at myself and just say, trust God more? That's just not the way that God invites us into transformation. So often it's through practices that just open up space for us to be transformed by the Spirit of God. So here's one practice. Gratitude. To open ourselves up to the goodness, the generosity of God. It's been said that it's hard to fear, to fear and feel gratitude at the same time. It's hard to actually feel fear and gratitude at the same time. So the practice of gratitude just opens us up to notice what God has given us. Take a moment now. Just take a moment, close your eyes if it helps, and just name three things you're grateful for to God. Take a moment to name that to God. God, every good gift is from you. We give you thanks. So I'm going to wrap this up. 
how do we do it? How do we faithfully follow Jesus with our stuff? Is this the point where I wag my finger? <laughs> Say, just trust more. I don't, I don't think that's what God's inviting us to do, to kind of shame ourselves. I do think God invites us to center ourselves in who God is, to center ourselves in the reality of a God that is generous beyond imagination. Of a God who created all that we see, who created us, that we might know him and enjoy life with him. A God who poured himself out for us and for our salvation, for the healing of our lives and the healing of our world, to center ourselves in this reality of who God is. And that's a lifelong process. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to keep being transformed by the presence of God. If you keep reading in Luke chapter 12, and I hope you do, I hope you read that chapter at some point in the next week or so. Again, Jesus is speaking to these deep-seated fears, these anxieties that that get to us all. He says this. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I think there's such tenderness in the voice of Jesus as he says those words. Do not be afraid. He's speaking to the core of those anxieties that grip us. Am I enough? Do I have enough? Will we be okay? He says, don't be afraid. It pleases the Father. Another translation, it delights the Father. It delights the Father to give you the kingdom. And I love how biblical scholar Tim Mackey, he draws this all out and he says, in this Jesus is pointing us to a generosity towards others. As we root ourselves, as we center ourselves in the generosity of God, it unleashes us to be a people of deep generosity in this world, especially towards the poor. So that's our prayer as we come to this table tonight, that we would be a community captivated by the beauty of God, that we would keep coming back together to this table and be enthralled by the self-giving God that the Spirit would be at work among us, moving us into places of deep love and deep generosity. And here's the thing. This table, you're invited to come tonight. All who hunger and thirst for more of Jesus, you're invited to come to taste and see that God is good. To be reminded that God is not holding out on you. No, this is the self-giving love of God poured out for you, for your healing and the healing of our world. So come, taste, know the goodness of God. I'm going to pray for us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would feed us in the deep places of our soul, that you would whisper to us again tonight, do not be afraid, little flock. It pleases me to invite you into life and life abundant. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would set apart these common, ordinary things, bread, juice, that tonight we would feast on your presence, that we would know that our whole life is held in your good and generous hands. We ask this in Jesus' name.